This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got the privilege of interviewing John Kelly. John, how you doing? Hey, Brett. How are you doing? Doing Thanks great. for having me. Absolutely. Well, it's good to have you. And uh, I guess I will say he is the announcer for the Stanley Cup <laughs> champion, St. Louis Blues. Is that right? That sounds really good. It does sound good, doesn't sounds it? sounds really good. Yeah. And uh, like a lot of fans, and I'm a fan, even though I work for the team in Fox Sports Midwest, I've been waiting for this for 52 years, and believe me, I'm as happy as anybody. Have you stopped uh, smiling? I mean, is it really set in yet that they are the Stanley Cup champions? You know, it really hasn't. Um, you know, every day there's a reminder, whether you're watching a video on, you know, your iPhone or you're, you know, walking into a store and somebody has a Stanley Cup champion T-shirt yeah. and says, wow, we won the Stanley Cup. So um, it, it's slowly sinking in. But uh, again, every day you wake up and you get a different reminder, and it's yeah. it's always positive and it's always a good feeling. So let's go back to that fifty-two years. You obviously you moved here from Canada. You came down. Your dad is is what do people call you guys? The Bucks of baseball, right? <laughs> you guys, you and your dad, what you were to hockey, and and just an amazing amazing legacy. And so talk to us about what it was like growing up here in St. Louis and becoming a Blues fan, and then we'll eventually get to that Stanley Cup and those nights. Well, my dad. Uh, moved here in 68, so the second year. A lot of people think that he was the original broadcaster, but it was actually Jack Buck and Jay Randolph who, okay. who, who covered the Blues the first year. So at the time, my dad was working for Hockey Night in Canada. Um, he was the host between periods out of Montreal. We were living in Ottawa, and actually Scotty Bowman, who, of course, was the first, uh, not the first coach, but he took over in the first year, um, the, you know, the all-time winningest yeah. coach. He, he and my dad were friends. They knew each other from, from um, Scotty coached a team in Ottawa, and my dad broadcast. So he recommended my dad for the job. So he came here in 68. I was eight years old at the time. Um, I had never really been out of Ottawa. So um, my mom and dad moved here with five kids at the time. My brother, uh, Danny Jr., was born here in 73. So you know, is a big move for my dad, yeah. you know, because he, he grew up in Ottawa and worked his way up through small time radio and and into TV. And then, you know, to come to a, a foreign country and yeah. a, a city that he he really had never been to, it was a was a leap of faith in a way. But it worked out great. I mean, he was here 21 years um, and obviously did a lot of other things aside yeah. from hockey, baseball and football and um you know, elected into the Hall of Fame. Of course, he passed away in 89. But as it turned out, it was a great move for for Dan Kelly and the Kelly family. Yeah, absolutely. I think I saw what he did, 16 or 17 Stanley Cup finals? Yeah, something like that Yeah, yeah for national TV. 
um, CBS, and then USA Network, um, and then um, some other restored yeah. um, networks that had the NHL rights at the time. So, you know, ironically enough, he, he never called the Stanley Cup for the Blues, of right. course, but he does have a World Series ring. He, uh, he was part of the broadcast team for the Cardinals in 82. So he oh, got wow. a World Series yeah. ring. Yeah, not many people would know that. But, no. uh, yeah, he has a World Series ring. Nice. That's very cool. So talk to us about when uh, – well, let me set the stage. When KMOX – right, so you, you got to do up to, what, the first round of the playoffs this year? Correct. Fox Sports Midwest. Now with the TV rights with NBC Sports, you couldn't do them. We go to the Stanley Cup Finals. Chris Kerber calls you and says what? Well, he actually, um, it actually happened after Game 7, or not Game 7, Game 6 of the San Jose series. Yeah. We won at home, and uh, they had a private party in one of the clubs for all the employees, and they had the Western Conference trophy in there. So my family came in with me, and we had pictures with the trophy, you know, had a party, a few cold <laughs> beers, and Chris came up to me and said, I want you to do the second period of every game of the final. And I was shocked. And right. I said, no, it's, it's your job. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not my place to do that. And he said, it's not an option for you, John. He said, I'm insisting. And I was, I was blown away. And yeah. it, it's an unbelievable gesture on Chris's part. Absolutely. Um, it's unprecedented because I've never personally heard of a radio broadcaster allowing a TV announcer right. who, who isn't covering a game or a series to do that. Um, so my wife was there and my kids and I told them and they were, um, they were overwhelmed yeah. with, uh, you know, happiness and, and again, so gracious of, of Chris to do that. Yeah. So that's where it happened after game six of the San Jose series. And that's gotta be just a surreal moment when you're sitting up there, you're used to doing TV. Now you're doing radio, yeah. you're probably calling it a little bit the same way I would think. Right. Yeah, you just have to talk more and be more descriptive. Um, yeah. On TV, you don't need to tell the people that the puck's on left wing. They can see it's on left wing. Gotcha. So it's more, you know, name recognition as opposed to, you know, where exactly the puck is. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit of an adjustment. But, you know, Brett, I grew up on radio. I, I did radio at college at SIU Edwardsville for two years. And then I did six years in the American Hockey League. Um, and I was doing play-by-play, and I never a color guy. I was actually play-by-play color and engineer. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was very familiar with radio and still am to this day, but it's a slight adjustment, but not a big deal. But obviously to come in, you know, at that time in such a high-profile environment, you know, you want to do a good job, yeah. and it was a great thrill to do the games. So talk about this team. I mean, they went from, you know, last place. Everybody knows this stuff, right? Last place in January to the best, right, the Stanley Cup champions. What was that like as an announcer, as a fan, as a person who's you know there watching practices and you're down on the ice before the game talking to the players and the coaches? What was the mood and then what like what just switched? Like what was that? Well, it's it's really a season that is hard to believe to this day because a year ago, um, Doug Armstrong made some good signings, a great trade from Buffalo to get Ryan O'Reilly. And we all felt that we had a really good hockey team to watch here and a team that could contend for the Stanley Cup. And then out of the gate, they start so erratically. And I say erratically because they didn't get blown out every night. You know, they'd lose 6-1 and then they'd go on the road and win 4-1 in Toronto or win in Winnipeg or whatever. Um, They never lost more than three in a row all year in regulation. So you never lost your faith. 
And then, of course, they made the coaching change just before Thanksgiving, and they started to play more consistent hockey, but yet they still didn't get red hot. Um, I really felt the first time that the team started to play the way they could was in late December, just before Christmas. The Blues had a, a Western Canadian trip to Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver, and they won two of three. And even the game they lost in Vancouver, they played very well. Uh, the Canuck goalie was superb that night, and the Blues lost. And then they started to get really hot in January. And, of course, Bennington played his first right. game January 7th in Philadelphia, got the shutout, and then he basically stayed in the net and took over the number one job, and then they won the club record 11 in a row. So it, it wasn't... It was a process. It really was. It just didn't happen like that, even with the coaching change and even with the goaltending change. But then after they won 11 in a row, you, you sort of saw some signs that this is a really good hockey team. Yeah. Not only could they score, but they defended really well. There was a point during that 11-game winning streak, I believe they had shutouts in two or three games in a row. And it wasn't just the fact they got shutouts, Brett. They were allowing very few scoring chances and it was really impressive they i think they got shutouts in phoenix denver and perhaps minnesota and it was like wow this is impressive to hold teams to no goals and very few chances and it continued the rest of the regular season and then into the playoffs we all saw what happened um you know they didn't blow teams out they didn't sweep a series but they were so resilient and lost only a couple in a row all playoff yeah. and just had a great bounce-back ability, and it was a magical run, obviously. It's funny you say bounce-back. I talk about it, and my business partner, Tim, and we got a lot of uh, summer work shadow people sitting here watching, so it's kind of fun. But um, we talk about bounce-back theory because it, it, the most successful people in business, they get rejection, they get bad news, they bounce back very quickly. And that is exactly what the Blues did. I mean, it was, it's like when they lost Game 6 in the Stanley Cup Finals, of course, you're nervous, you're going to Boston, but – what was your feeling? What was the team's feeling going back there? Did you just kind of know this is going to happen? Something special is about to happen? You know, I, I felt honestly, Brett, after they beat Dallas in Game 7 in double overtime, yeah. they were going to win the Cup. I really did. And then, of course, they beat San Jose. And even after they lost that, that sixth game at home, and, you know, it, I think the score was 5-1, to one, but it was one nothing after 2, yeah. and the things got away from the Blues. But they were such a great road team. I mean, the first round, they won all three games in Winnipeg. It was amazing. And that's a really hard venue to win hockey games. Yeah, yeah. Um, I felt they'd win. I really did. So after, to, to answer your question, after game six, um, I thought Craig Brewery did a great job in his post-game press conference just saying, you know, it's one game, and now we're going to go to Boston. And if somebody would have said to me at the start of the year, I have one win to win a Stanley Cup, I'll take my chances. Right. So it was just business as usual. Uh, they flew to Boston the next day, um, were there a couple of days ahead of time, um, practiced the day before the game, and it was just like a game in January. Yeah. It was, I don't want to say it was no big deal. I think we all knew it was on the line, but they, they took it in a, in a business-like fashion and got a great goaltending performance from Bennington, especially in the first period, and they won the game 4-1. to one. Crazy. So what did it mean for the city of St. Louis, obviously for the Kelly family, for the Blues? But for this city, I mean, we've got a lot of negative press, right? But, uh, you know, we, you and I were texting during that, and I said, what a run this has been. And I, I just think this city needed something, right? It needed a shot in the arm, and I think this did it. Because I know for me, 
I'm not a lifelong hockey guy, right? But right. I'm I'm coming out of the woodworks. I'm staying up late every night. I knew everything about the players. What did it mean for this city? I think it meant a lot because, as you said, this city has taken some knocks. Yeah. Um, it and it's been you know it was difficult with the the Ferguson yeah. unrest and um, you know all those issues, um, and I'm sure they continue today to sure. some level. And then the the Rams moving, uh, but I always felt that this was always a great sports yeah. town. I mean, going back from when I first came here in 1968, so I, I never felt it wasn't a great sports town even after the Rams left. Yeah. But you know, a year ago the PGA was here at Bill Reeve. It was a complete home run. It was fantastic. Um, but I was blown away by the amount of of I don't want to call casual fans or everyday fans, but everywhere you went during the playoffs, people had hats on or they had flags in their cars or they had banners in their windows. I have never personally seen, and this is before they won the cup, but during the whole 26 game playoff run, I've never seen as much interest in the St. Louis blues as I did this spring. TV ratings had to be off the charts. Yeah, they were off the charts. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, uh, I know for Fox Sports Midwest in the first round, we were we were doing very good numbers, and in the final, um, St. Louis had better numbers yeah. than Boston. Um, I don't know exactly what they were, right. but they were very good, and interest had never been even close to what it was in the playoffs than it was this year. Yeah. And we talk about the St. Louis. We always hear best fans in baseball, right? All those things, and and what a great sports town it is, but. What do, we, what do we have, what, 3 million people that live in the greater St. Louis area? And then you look at that parade, I'm getting chills just talking about it. What, 1.5 million people show up to a parade? I mean, that's incredible. What was that like, walking through that, going through that, holding the cup? I mean, talk about that parade and what it meant to you. It, it, was, it was so awesome. It really was. It was bigger and better than I could ever imagine. Uh, the broadcasters were on a float. Yeah. We were toward the front of the parade, and we walked out of the – of the back of Enterprise Center onto Brett Hallway there, right beside Highway 40. Yeah. And we were getting on our float, and there were people on the street probably six, seven deep. And I said, wow, this is impressive. But that wasn't the parade <laughs> right, route. Right. That's where the staging was for the parade. And then we went west up by Union Station and turned to Market Street, and it was like, oh, my God, what a what a turnout. And... In places, they were 20 deep. It was just amazing. And I thought it was so awesome that the players got off of their floats yeah. with the cup and went to the edge of the crowd and let people see the cup or yeah. perhaps touch it. Yeah. And and the players really made it a parade for the Blues fans. And I thought that's what was so awesome. And then uh, the announcers co-hosted the event down under the arch. Um, and that was amazing to look out onto the lawn um, with the old courthouse in the background, and to see, you know, I don't know, a hundred thousand people yeah. on the lawn watching the, the uh, the ceremony that we had, and they, of course they had the cup up there, and we had Layla up there. It was just an amazing turnout and an amazing day for Blues fans. Tears? No, you know, I'm not. I'm not a. <laughs> I didn't know how I would react when the Blues won the cup, and I was in the press box, yeah. and I was next to. Darren Pang and Bernie Federko, and obviously Bernie's been here since yeah, the sure. mid seventies. Um, but I didn't cry. You know, we hugged each other and we were just so happy. But no, I'm I'm not a, I'm just not 
that emotional yeah. a guy, but believe me, it meant a lot. It How's really... Brett Hull doing? Is he uh, he sobered up at all? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think Brett enjoyed it as much as anybody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, hey, but there's a lot of people that um, around the Blues organization, you know, Bobby Plager, obviously, yeah. an original Blue um, to to be in Boston for Game 7 and then, of course, be in the parade. And, you know, it, it meant as much to him as anybody. So there, there are a lot of people like like Brad and, and Bobby and uh, um, Bruce Affleck's been there since the early 70s. So, you know, a lot of longtime Blues finally had their chance to celebrate a cup. I saw something about your mom. She's, what, 80, 82, 82, 83? Yeah, 82 years old. And she just said, I want to see a Stanley Cup championship before I pass. Yeah, you know, it's How's sort of, mom? yeah, she's doing great. Um, she's up in Canada right now as we speak. But as a matter of fact, it was almost like a year or two ago. And, and she's in great health, but she kept saying, whenever we'd get together or, you know, or talk about the Blues, I want to see the Blues win a cup before I, I die. And they won it. And she, the Blues were so nice to invite uh, my immediate family, of course, but also m- my siblings and my mom. Wow. Um, not all of them were in town, but... Um, so my mom was on the float and, you know, spraying champagne and 82 years old, 82 year olds. And, you know, she was at, you know, under the arch with us at the ceremony. And actually, Chris Kerber did a nice thing. He called up my entire family onto the stage and, you know, talked briefly about my dad and what it would mean to him to be here. And so, yeah, so it was it was really special for the Kelly family. That's awesome. So how has hockey changed over the years when you look back? What are you 30 something years, right? Announcing hockey? I mean, I bet, yeah, I've been announcing in the NHL for close to 30 years, yeah. exactly. So how long, how much has the game of hockey changed? It's changed a lot. Number one, the players are are such better athletes. Um, they're they're in tremendous shape. I mean, they'll come to training camp in in mid September and skate for two days, and then they'll play a preseason game, and they'll be fine. And <laughs> quite honestly, they could play two or three preseason games just for timing purposes, sure. and they'd be ready to go. So they're in fantastic shape. Um, but the game is so fast now. And, you know, it's evolved back in the in the 80s. It was a run-and-gun style with the, the Edmonton Oilers winning five cups in a seven- or eight-year span. A- and then in the early 90s, things really got bogged down because teams played the trap. I mean, the Devils won three cups, and it was really hard to score. As a matter of fact, in the... Um, the lockout in 03, I believe, or 04, in the final, Calgary and Tampa. Tampa won the series in seven. There was not one lead lead change in that series because oh, wow. teams couldn't come back. So teams would... early lead, it's over. It was over, and it wasn't good for hockey. So that's when they had the lockout and they changed the rules. Um, of course, they instituted the shootout and things like that. But now the game's opening up again, and, and goal scoring is going up again. So I think it's fantastic. It's it's so fast and entertaining, and the physicality is still there. It's not what it was, but you have to understand that too many players are getting hurt, especially yeah. concussions, and it's a big problem in all of sports, but especially hockey. Yeah. So, you know, there's a fine line. You know, how do you keep the game safe? How do you keep it entertaining? Um, keep the scoring up. So, you know, they keep tweaking things. Uh, but I think it's as good a game as yeah. it's ever been. Yeah, I think, I mean, a third period in a hockey game is just incredible. Just the intensity and watching it, especially in the playoffs. But the guy, their mindset has to be different. I mean, you're seeing guys that are, you know, pucks are coming at 100 and something miles an hour at them, and they basically wear, 
you know, piece of glass to here, but they'll throw their body in front of it. I mean, you don't see that in a lot of sports where they're just all out risking, you know, their health for that stuff. So what is it about hockey players that are different, do you think? I don't know. They're a tough breed. You know, yeah. they, they really are. I mean, in the in the playoffs this year, Vince Dunn broke his yeah. his jaw in, I think it was game three of the San Jose series and, of course, missed a couple of weeks, but he came back in the right. final. And then Char broke his jaw in the final and, what, he missed one game? Yeah, and, and he was then, ready to come back that game. He, yeah, he sat on the bench yeah. in the third period. Um, I think it was game four. The Blues won that game. Um, so, so I don't know. They're a different breed, and they're just tough guys. Yeah. They really are. It's a, it's a hard sport, but they play with so much pain and through pain. It's, it's They're amazing athletes. So give us a, a day in the life of John Kelly during the season. Say there's a home game with the Blues. You know, we show up, we turn on Fox Sports Midwest, and there you are. You do a great job. But obviously, there's a lot of stuff that happened before that. So talk to us about what's a, what's a day in the life like for you? Well, I'm asked that question a lot. You know, how do you get ready for a game and how do you prepare? And my answer is that it's basically a 24-7 job. Mm-hmm. Because even maybe the, the night before a game or two nights before a game, I'm watching hockey. I watch hockey every single night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of the few guys, Brett, that can say to my wife, you know, honey, I can't take out the trash i gotta watch hockey it's my job <laughs> it's my job honey. it's my job you know I, I can't you know i can't help around the house so she's great so i you know i watch a lot of hockey so say we're playing the dallas stars on a saturday i'll watch the dallas stars play in their previous game on a, on a thursday or a wednesday whatever it is um but as far as game day um i'll do some my notes um i'll, I'll probably do some the night before to sort of get a head start on it and then I'll go down to practice. The, the team skates um, Homer Road. At home, they skate at 10.30. On the road, they skate at 11.30. So I'll mm-hmm. go watch the, the, the morning skate, as they call it. And then the visiting team will skate after the Blues at 11.30. And you watch both teams. You go into the locker rooms, talk to the players, talk to the coaches. And you just get a feel for what's happening um, at the skate and, and the storylines of the game. Yeah. And we'll have, a, we'll have a production meeting around 12.30. Um, with Darren Pang, our producer director, and we'll talk about, you know, hey, the Blues are changing their line tonight. We need to talk about that in our open of the show and talk about what we need to highlight as far as the visiting team. And then I'll go home and have lunch and maybe do another hour to 90 minutes of, of note-taking. Uh, we get press notes, of course. So we I like to have everything on. I have a book where I, I have, you know, 170 pages so two pages a game, I'll have the lines and notes and the power play notes and things like that. So every bit of information I get, either from talking to players or coaches or from the notes, the, the numbers, I'll put in my book. So that way, when I'm calling the game, it's all right there. And I know exactly where it is, of course, because, yeah. you know, I do it. So then when I go to the game, I have my book with, with the two pages of all my notes and stats, and then I have my roster sheet. And I use the roster sheet, the numbers, to, to call the, sure. the game. Of course, I don't need it for the Blues. I know what, you know, I know those players. So that's it. And I get back to the arena around 4.30. And at 5 o'clock, we have some pre-production things. We, we do record some stuff. And, um, have a, you know, maybe a quick dinner. And then I always make sure I watch the warm-up. That's the most important 50 minutes of my day, wow. especially for teams that I don't see a lot. Uh, like if I do a game involving a divisional team, 
it's really right. easy for it's it's easy for me. But if we do a game like the Florida Panthers, a team that you see three times a year, and maybe I'll do a game, uh, I'll do a Panther game in November of this year, and I haven't seen them since last January. So it, it takes more work. Different team, yeah, it, yeah it, they could have six, seven new players, and you forget perhaps um, the, the names and the numbers. So, so that 15-minute period when they warm up is really important. So I really concentrate hard on watching the other team and, and getting the, the names and numbers memorized. Well, we have a lot of business folks that listen to this. And so you know, what I'm hearing from you is the amount of preparation that goes in before the big meeting. Right. right. And so that big meeting for you happens to be on TV. It's a hockey game. Right. For me or for somebody else, it may be this big presentation you got to give the day. But your preparation and your work beforehand is what makes the game the end result, right? Exactly. And you know, if I have um, 30 items written down in my book, whether it's a stat or an anecdote, yep. I might use 10. Right. You know, and it, but you're overprepared. It, it, I'm overprepared. And it's also game dependent, Brett. I mean, you you go into a game and you think, well, you know, the two power plays for both teams are red hot, and we got to talk about that. And you know, this guy Tarasenko has ten power play goals, and uh, the other team's guy is a is a top power play. But maybe the game doesn't evolve that way. So you have to you have to focus on what's happening in the game and not rely so much on what you think might have been happening at ten in the morning. So you got to be overprepared, but you also have to be able to to shift gears and tell the story of what's happening in the game because that's what the fans want to know. Right. I mean, if if the Blues are winning, you know, five to one, and you might have a great story about a player on the other team, well, you might not get it in because that player is not doing anything or right. it's not relevant to the game. Yeah. So. So where do you find that passion? Because your deal is different than, say, my deal. I mean, I can show up to work, and there's plenty of days, right, that we both show up, and maybe you don't want to do it. But you're going to have, whatever, a million people, right, watching you. Well, we don't have a million, but. Right. Well, you got a lot, though. <laughs> we have a lot. I have watching me at work, right? right? So how do you get prepared mentally, even on days, maybe you got the sniffles, maybe you just don't feel good, right? You just maybe don't want to do it that day, but you still got to do it. You still got to show up. You know, I never wake up the day of a game and say, I really wish there wasn't a game tonight. I, re awesome. I really don't. Now, there have been a few games where I've been really sick, where I, I probably shouldn't have been there. Um, but I've only, in my entire broadcasting career, knock on wood, I've only missed two games because of sickness. And, wow. and I had laryngitis back when I was doing the Tampa Bay Lightning games. And I felt great, but I literally couldn't speak. Right. So it wasn't an option. I just I, couldn't I talk. Literally can't talk. Yeah. Couldn't talk. So I mean, I've done games where I've, you know, thought I might be be ill during a game, yeah. but you you know you get through it, and and a lot of people do that. Yeah. So, um, but honestly, Brett, once you get through the day and you get your prep done, and you sit down and you watch warm up, and they get ready to drop the puck, it's exciting. Yeah. It, it really is because you might see something that you've never seen before. And it's our job to to entertain and inform and enlighten. And the people that watch our games are, are most likely they're diehard yeah. Blues fans, they're hockey fans, and they want to be entertained. And, you know, the average fan may have had a bad day or his, his wife is sick or his, his kid is sick, and this is a three-hour escape for him it's it's not reality really i mean it's a game 
So it's our job to to do the best job we can at seven o'clock at night and and make that two or three hour window for those people a, a, the best it can be. So talk to us, especially those fans that may not be as in tune with what actually goes on in the city of St. Louis, or maybe they just quite frankly don't pay attention. But that Enterprise Center, it's more than a hockey for St. Louis, right? And so talk about those upgrades, what they've done to the center, and how important that is really for all of us that live in this area. Well, it, it, it was a three-year process, and they're on phase three this summer. They're, they're replacing the seats in the lower bowl uh, this summer as we speak. Um, they replaced the upper deck uh, last year. Um, and there are a lot of other issues, not issues, but um, things they're doing behind the scenes, um, the air conditioning, um, they're, they're, the elevators and the escalators are, are, are being upgraded. Wow. So things like that. Um, but last summer they put in... Um, a lot, a lot of new clubs, and and some of the p- clubs are private, and and some folks will never get to them. But a lot of the clubs in the areas are for the general public, and they're 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 great meeting areas to go get a bite to eat or, or, or get a beverage or whatever. But what it does, you know, more, you know, it does a lot for the Blues, obviously, because we, they want Blues fans to have the best experience they can at a hockey game. But it also allows, you know, Enterprise Center, and Tom Stillman and his ownership group, of course, they run Enterprise Center, is to get high-profile events uh, like skating championships, um, NCAA basketball tournaments, uh, the All-Star Games coming here this season. So without upgrades, I think that the Blues and Enterprise would have um, missed out on some events. So that's the biggest thing is to get those big-time events to St. Louis, and it helps everybody. It helps the guy down the street who owns the bar or a restaurant or a parking garage. Um, the trickle-down effect is enormous. It's huge. The revenue it brings in is is, uh, is amazing. So um, what advice would you give yourself? So if you look back and you could talk to that 35, that 40-year-old, or even that you know 18 or 20-year-old, what advice would you give that John Kelly? Um, as far as broadcasting or well, just life, life advice? Life advice, anything that you would say, gosh, I wish I'd have done this maybe a little differently. You know, I don't have regrets. I've moved around a few times in my career. I was here after my father passed away and went to Tampa, the Colorado. Um, but just, you know, work hard and and enjoy what you do. Um, I am so lucky that I've been able to broadcast hockey my entire career. I really am. Um, and I tell my kids, I have three kids, a, a boy and two girls. And my youngest daughter is going to KU this year. And she's not sure exactly what she wants to do. Maybe broadcasting, maybe forensic psychology. I said, do what you want to do and what you enjoy, because you're going to spend more time in your life working and making a living than you are perhaps doing anything else. So that's, I guess that would be the advice is, is do what you enjoy. Don't do it because um, of the money necessarily, or a friend has a job that you might want, but do it because you love what you do, and have a passion for it. So if you could trade places, uh, not even trade places, if you could have dinner with one person, living or dead, who would that be and why? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, um, I've always loved golf, and I love Jack Nicklaus. And he, to me, is maybe the greatest athlete ever. Um, to win 18 majors and to do what he did. I grew up, you know, 
in the 80s when he was winning his his prime, his, yeah. his prime you know, and won the 86 Masters. I don't know. I, I know I'm a sports guy, so I, I'll stick with sports, sure. and I'll, I'll take the Golden Bear. <laughs> I like it. It's amazing what he's still doing, right? Yeah. I mean, the guy's yeah. still, I think he's like the second or third highest paid golfer. You know that? He's still like the second or third highest paid golfer with endorsements and all that yeah. stuff. And he doesn't even play golf anymore. Yeah. So it's crazy. Um, so Gloria. Did you get caught up in the Gloria the Gloria craze? I, I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> I actually met um of course she passed away yeah. um many years ago, but I met her manager, um okay. the lady that is still managing her I guess her affairs and you know estate, yeah. the estate. And she was at one of the games in the final, I believe. So she came up and and uh, and introduced herself to me, and it, it's really an amazing story. What it happened? Really I mean, it really is. That, you, you mind know, sharing that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was actually the the night before the Blues played in Philly, Bennington's first start, yeah. and some of the players went to just a I assume a random bar to watch the Eagles play, yeah. and. Well, in that random bar, it was like a members only. And, of course, them being hockey players, right. they so were able to get the in. Must and, I think somebody invited a few of the yeah. players. So it wasn't a random. It wasn't like they were walking down the street and walked into the bar. Um, but then every time the Eagles would score a touchdown or get a field goal, and they, they beat the Bears, I believe, in, in, a, in a close game, they would play the song Gloria. And I know Steen was there and Edmondson and, and a few of the other guys, and they said, you know, that would be a great song for, for our team to adopt. As a, mm. as a song we'd play when we win. And they won the next night, and they, you know, I'd go into the locker room after the game, and you'd hear the song. And, of course, in the playoffs, uh, there were a lot of videos of the yeah. of the guys coming into the locker room and high-fiving each other and playing the song. It, it, it took off, and now you have T-shirts, you know, Gloria, Gloria, and it, it's, it really was amazing. So as we close here, let's talk about, that last maybe two or three minutes, you pretty much know the Blues are going to win. What's going through your mind as you're calling? Well, you're sitting in the press box. You weren't calling at that time. But you know they're going to win. What are you, what are you thinking? Um, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, waiting for that moment. We've all been waiting for that moment. Um, because I had to do post-game coverage for Fox Sports yeah. Midwest. So we had to be down near the ice to go on the ice maybe 20 minutes after the game. And, and I told our producer, Tim Paps, who does a great job. He's been there for 25 years. I said, I do not want to be in a hallway when the game ends. Yeah. I want to be in the bowl watching the final seconds. Right. I want to see the handshakes. I want to see the Stanley Cup race. So, you know, the last couple of minutes after Shen made it 3 nothing, I knew it was over. Right. I think we all knew it was over. Right. And then Sanford scored to make it 4-zip. Uh, Boston scored a late goal. Um, again, I was standing next to Bernie Federico and Darren Pang, and I, I it was just a, a surreal moment to see the, the seconds go down and see the Blues celebrate. Yeah. And it was it was amazing, and I'll never forget it. Well, John Kelly, thank you for your time. Where can our listeners find more of you? Are you a social media guy? You got a website? Anything? Yeah, Jay Kelly Hockey. Okay, on Twitter. Um, I, I don't do a lot of tweets, but I follow a lot of people <laughs> right. and, uh, news source, right? get my news source and, uh, you know, we'll be firing back up on Fox sports Midwest, uh, pretty soon. I do a coach's show, of course, with Craig Berube. It'll be on one one this year. Of course they move yeah. radio stations and, uh, can't wait for a hockey awesome. season. Yeah, yeah. I, I lied. Last question. So what the blues do anything in the off season we need to be aware of any big, uh, big moves or big things happening? 
You know, they've, they've re-signed almost every player. Um, there are only a couple out there that haven't re-signed, including Maroon, who's a UFA. Yeah. Edmondson and I believe Barbashev are the only others, and they're restricted yeah. free agents. So Doug Armstrong has done a great job of getting all the key components back. Hopefully they can defend their cup. And by the way, this Sunday they're going to release their, their Stanley Cup video. It's, oh, nice. it's going to be uh, a very nice... Um, Affair down at uh, Stiefel. Okay. Um, they're going to there. Yeah, yeah. they're going to have their first ever viewing of the Stanley Cup. All right. We'll check video. that out. So this Sunday. This Sunday. All right. Yep. We'll check that out. And, uh, you know, John Kelly, again, thank you so much for being here. You have a lot of things you could be doing. So we appreciate you being here this day. My pleasure, Bye. Brett. Thank you very much. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.